This is Fate's Wide Wheel, a Quantum Leap podcast with Sam and Dennis. We are a Quantum Leap podcast, but we recently finished our rewatch of the TV series. We're going to go back later and cover the novels and comics. But for now, we're talking about other TV shows and movies we love. This week, we're talking about WandaVision, the hit Marvel TV series on Disney, The Queen's Gambit on Netflix, and the series premiere of CW, Superman, and Lois. You can find us on all the familiar social media sites by searching Fate's Wide Wheel, and we would love it if you subscribed and reviewed us on Apple Podcast. It really makes a difference. And now, we hope you enjoy this week's episode. fascinating is that the original script for the wedding episode they were going to have a horse go over Niagara Falls oh my god and it it was an all in eight that the uh the showrunner creator Greg Daniels I think Greg Daniels and Minnie Kaling they were all about it and everybody else had to talk him out of it and finally it took Steve Carell who had some say as a producer to say mm-hmm. pl- to say please don't do this yeah. Otherwise, we wouldn't say jumping the shark anymore. Yeah. We'd say something like, you know, the horse went into Niagara. <laughs> yes, it would. Uh, yeah, but I'll, I'll I'll leave you to read the book and like, yeah, what what that story was going to be and how are they they were going to send a horse over Niagara Falls. Man, I'm looking forward to reading it. I, I've heard good things about it. I've almost I've almost bought it on my own a couple of times actually, and uh, I know with Jess uh, listening to the Office Ladies podcast, I'm sure she'll be. Uh, Excited to, to kind of read more stuff as well. Yeah. I, it, it's funny. I hear some of the office ladies sort of secondhand because every once in a while, like if Jess is cleaning or, you know, sometimes when she's, um, you know, kind of doing her nighttime routine or, or whatever, she'll um, put it on but not have her AirPods in. Sure. So I'll, I'll kind of be listening a little bit too. And it, it, it's, it's so odd to me because it, here are two people that clearly know each other very well, have known one another for you know, nearly 20 years, and yet their conversations just often sound very overproduced. Yeah. Like they're not comfortable just talking to one another. I don't know. Uh, go read the reviews yeah. on Apple sometime. Okay. And I think that may inform it. Okay. Because it seems like they've gotten a lot of negative reviews because they are too personal. They're too chatty. They go on too many, oh. they, they go on too many side tangents. Hmm. Well. Well. <laughs> How, yeah. how in the world would a podcast survive? <laughs> I know. Uh, I don't want to because of, yeah, I mean, they're obviously they're part of a larger network. It's, it's just, yeah, that's right. just kind of comes it's with the, it. I mean, it's the rage these days. And it's not just because of the pandemic. I mean, a lot of these podcasts were planned far before the pandemic started. But, um, you know, there are so many podcasts out there now that have, you know, actors from shows that were popular in the aughts. Uh, and, and they're, you know, they, I mean, I can think of three right off the top of my head. You've got the office ladies, you've got two fake doctors and you've mm-hmm. got talking Sopranos and like all three of those, you know, the shows were again from the early aughts. You've got two actors from the show, uh, in the case of two fake doctors, I mean, you've got like two of the leads, you've yeah. got Zach Braff and, um, Oh shit! I'm I'm like Donald Faison. Sure. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, uh, and there are more, you know, those are just a few, um, it's, it, it is interesting to me because I feel like it's one of those things where your mileage may vary. I've listened to a few of the Sopranos ones as well. I haven't listened to, to much of Two Fake Doctors, um, which I feel is a shame because based off of what I've heard and what Jess says, that one would probably be my favorite out of the bunch. Mm-hmm. 
um, just because those two guys have such great chemistry anyway. Sure. And, yeah. and their conversations, they, they, they'll allow themselves to go on tangents, but apparently the tangents are always a lot of fun and very interesting, especially when they have guests on. Mm-hmm. Um, so it ends up being just as much their forum for talking about stuff as it is uh, about Scrubs. Sure. You know? And I think Did they you watch Scrubs. Oh, I, oh yeah, love Scrubs. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. I'm probably seeing earlier season episodes more frequently than the last few seasons, but same here. Yeah, um, and I, I even tried giving the the like the spinoff after version, and that was oh uh, that one. I found myself just wanting it to be canceled. Uh, what's the the guy who played the Cox? The actor yeah. who played him. I was like, man, just, just cancel this so he can get on and do better work now. Um, yeah. And I haven't seen him do a whole lot since Better then. Have I. Yeah. Where are you, McGinley? I, I don't um, know. But I, I, I also know, too, that he has a child with Down syndrome. So mm, I, okay. I have a feeling that he stuck around for the after show basically for a paycheck. Sure. And maybe since then he's kind of retired. I don't know. Right, right. Um, yeah, I, it's interesting. I have a friend of mine, and she will defend that that uh, version of Scrubs uh, uh, to her dying breath. And I'm just like, no, it's bad. It's just, it's just not good. It's yeah. Um, which is, you know, whatever. The yeah, it's it's one of those shows that I genuinely feel like the first few seasons were so good and so fresh, and and you had people who were so interested in the work and so connected and attached to the work. Um, and then quite frankly, you know, you, you have what has happened with a few other shows here and there. You, you had Zach Braff in particular go off and get to do other things, bigger and better things. And, and, you know, you know, he all of a sudden was not just a TV star, but now he's, you know, kind of a burgeoning movie star, which I don't think he ever fully capitalized on quite frankly. And sure. Maybe part of that is because he was, he did keep going back to Scrubs. Who knows? Um, but the show was able to attract, you know, high-profile guest stars. And um, I think a lot of that just had to do with the quality of the writing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I'm of the mind that once the show left NBC in particular. Oh, I forgot that. Really, yeah. Yeah. Was it one season? It two really seasons? Kind of uh, yeah, it was two seasons on ABC. Ah, yeah. uh, okay. Yeah. Forgot that. Yeah. But, um Yeah. It was yeah. I, for a while there, that was definitely one of my favorite shows. I, I I say this with no shame whatsoever, but a friend of mine and I once watched the entire first season in one day. Damn. Yeah, that's a lot. I went over to his house. We were just hanging out. We threw in the first disc. Uh, before we knew it, we threw in the second disc. Before we knew it, we threw in the third disc, and I realized I'd been there for like twelve hours. Yeah, and then he's like, "Well, now we got it. We got to finish it. Now we can't." Right, right. It's like we're finishing it. We're finishing it. We can't. Um, speaking uh, of finishing it, yeah. I I today was able to finish the latest episode of WandaVision. Uh, I watched it twice yesterday. Once by myself. Once with Betsy. All right. Uh, I. I didn't know if I was going to catch up, honestly. Yeah. And just one episode left. So here's how I thought I we would do WandaVision today. Like, do a few minutes relatively spoiler-free. Sure. Um, minor spoilers. Basically, to like, if, uh, if listeners haven't seen the show yet, kind of on the fence of watching the show, 
um, or they start, or they only watch the first couple of episodes and kind of petered out. Because I know a lot of people who watch the first two episodes and are like, I can't. I don't know what this is. I'm done. Sure. Um, so because I feel like there, there's a lot to talk thematically about the show. You can you can kind of talk about the show kind of somewhat spoiler free. And then we can warn people like, hey, if you haven't seen if you're not caught up yet and you don't want spoilers, uh, we'll put a thing in the notes like, hey, jump ahead to to this to this time, this timestamp in the podcast. Yes. Um, yeah, I think that's a great idea. And then you can talk about Queen's Gambit and Superman and Lois however you want. Uh, I've hit the age. I'm almost 42. I don't care about spoilers for the most part. Life is short. <laughs> I, I, I really kind of hit the attitude of Billy Crystal in uh, uh, When Harry Met Sally of how <laughs> when I'm reading a novel, I always skip ahead to the last page to find what happens because I might die before then. <laughs> that, that's very much oh, where I'm man. at now. I have to admit, I, ever since I saw that film, uh, which I'd seen bits and pieces of it, but the first time I ever watched the whole thing all the way through, I want to say I was about 20. And uh, in the back of my head, I've always had, I've always had that, like, that thought, like, huh, at what, at what point will I start like, doing that? Will I ever do that? Have, I've been tempted a couple of times to do that, especially if I'm reading a book I'm not 100% on board with. Yeah. I'm just sort of like, maybe I should just skip to the end. Yeah. <laughs> I don't. I, I say that I, I haven't done that with books, TV shows, whatever. I'm just like, wait, whatever, just whatever, just skip ahead. Give me the spoilers. What's going to happen? Uh, especially ongoing TV shows, because I'm like, are you ever since Lost? I'm just like, are you going to burn me? Yeah. <laughs> Is it going to be six, seven yeah. years, and then you just totally shit the bed with the finale? I, I can imagine it. Some someday we'll talk about Lost. <laughs> we'll, we'll get there. It's. Yeah, yeah. The thing I appreciate about WandaVision is that it's nine episodes and that's it. Now, I've heard right. some stuff out there like there is some telltale evidence that there are actually 10 episodes. Mm. And that they may drop that on us. Um, At the last. I mean, that I'd be fine with that. I it's funny because as the last episode and again no spoilers as the last episode wrapped up I did have a feeling of it feels like there's got to be more either that or the last episode is going to be double sized which I know that they did like with the Mandalorian mm-hmm. um, so I, I wouldn't be surprised if maybe episode nine is is twice you know is the double the normal length which again kind of you know sticking staying away from spoilers one of the things that i would certainly tell people if they if they're on the fence and haven't gotten into the show yet or if maybe they watched the first episode and were like meh i mean you can't you can't hate a show that packs as much in emotionally thematically and plot wise in a short amount of time i mean the episodes are only like half an hour long so it's 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 a pretty easy watch and and I would say that you know if 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 you can kind of just it, it's hard for me to say this cuz I can't imagine not enjoying those first two episodes but if you can get through to the third episode and especially the fourth episode like you you're going to be sailing by that point so yeah and I will say that's one thing I would definitely say yeah I will say like for me like when I first heard about the show I was only kind of like vaguely it's like Wanda and and Vision and and I like a different series, and it didn't really land on my radar because I've, I've never been a huge fan of the Marvel TV shows. Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., tried mm-hmm. to get into, couldn't really. Jessica Jones, loved the first season, then kind of petered off. Wanted to love Daredevil and didn't. Um, so WandaVision, I was just kind of meh on. Mm-hmm. And then I heard about the sitcom angle 
And on top of that, like how seriously they took it, how the actors basically yeah. went to sitcom boot camp to learn the nuances of the acting styles between between decades. And that's like, all right, now I'm interested. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm a little bit, you know, because uh, I think it's fair to say, like, none of the movies have really given uh, uh, Wanda and Vision very much focus. Or, 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 like, a, a fair amount of focus at all. I was not emotionally invested in those characters. Um, yeah, I would say it, it is interesting because, you know, until... In, in Age of Ultron, you know, they're, you know, uh, uh, Wanda's there. Uh, in, in Civil War, you know, again, they're, they're, they're kind of just there. It's not until you get to Infinity War... And by that time, so much of the relationship building between the two of them has happened off screen, really, that it's a testament to Paul Bettany and Elizabeth Olsen that in Infinity War, they were able to have the relationship that they do have and that the moments in particular towards the end of that film land so strongly um, because, yeah, they didn't. They didn't get the same amount of screen time that others did for that relationship building. Because if I recall um, correctly, like a relationship like between the Hulk and Black Widow, sure. which gets swept under the rug by the last you know couple of movies, got more screen time than their relationship did. Yeah, because if I recall correctly, like they there's there's the kind of a hint of them bonding in Age of Ultron, and then by the time we get to Infinity War, like they're just a couple. Yeah. Right. Like the first time, yeah. like the first time we see them, like they're in bed together at night and they get this sudden attack. It's been a couple of years since I've seen Infinity War, but that's pretty much it, right? Yeah. All right, because yeah. I thought maybe I'd missed something. I was like, oh, they're they're a couple now. All right, he's a robot. All right, and this is weird. All right, sure, whatever. It's interesting with the MCU how much of the you know they embrace the fact that a, a large portion of the fan base has knowledge of these characters outside of the films. And so they, there are certain things that I think that they'll allow themselves to sort of get away with. And they do it wonderfully because they rely on the actors. They rely on, you know, little bits of script here and there um, that allow them to do, you know, a 45-minute fight scene, uh, you know, kind of eschewing some of that, that, that other character development that they're not going to show us on screen because, you know, there are certain things that I guess some fans will take as a given and other fans will hopefully pick up on and appreciate you know, due to the, the performances, you know, and, and, and yeah, and that, and that ultimately there's this sort of trust with the audience that says, look, we don't have time to show you all this, but just know that this is the way things are, that these two characters are in bed together, you know, literally uh, and figuratively. And, and, and so I, I do think that it's, it works so well because the world building in general through the course of the films has been so strong. You know, I think compared to other film universes, there are others that don't, that don't necessarily do that as well. Um, I think you could certainly, as much as I hate to, you know, build something up at the expense of something else, I, I will say that with the, the new Star Wars films, one thing that you could certainly say is that that's not something that those three movies did very well. Um, they were kind of all over the place as opposed to, you know, really doing some of that world building that would have allowed certain relationships and certain moments to land in a way that felt natural. I mean, I feel like with Star Wars, what their problem was with this last trilogy is they didn't have the story written out. 
or if they did, right. like they they changed it to to adjust to fan backlash. You know, they totally set Finn up. Finn is that the right character? Yeah, they totally set Finn up mm-hmm. to be a hero and to possibly to be a Jedi, and he's basically just almost swept aside in the last movie. Yeah. Um. And you know the we can you know go all day about like like the politics behind that. And the thing is, like, I'm just a casual fan of the Star Wars movies. Like, I'll show up, I'll go for the spectacle, you know, whatever. Um, sure. You know, it just kind of rolls off me. But I can understand why people get very get very upset about it. Yeah. It you know the thing the thing is is that because so much of our conversation about these things is dominated uh, you know by social media and, and in the realm of social media, um, it, it is difficult to not see. For instance, it was announced yesterday, I believe, that J.J. Abrams will be producing the next Superman movie, and that Ta-Nehisi Coates will be writing it, and so already, you know, in less than twenty four hours. Uh, I have been on Reddit and, and the immediate backlash from people who haven't read one word of script, who haven't seen one minute of film, who haven't heard one casting decision, um, is just, I mean, it's disgusting, really. It's, it's one of those things where it's like everyone, uh, you know, everyone has a right to their opinion, yes, but now everyone thinks their opinion matters. And sometimes (laughs) your opinion doesn't matter at all. And so it's one of those things where, you know, you, and I say this as a guy who has a podcast talking about entertainment, but, you know, the thing is, is that. But you're humble about when, it. When, when, <laughs> when these people get out there and they start criticizing these things, and then they don't understand when someone says, hey, man, that might be a little racist, you know, which is a kind way of saying you're racist. Uh, they don't understand that. And it's just sort of like, all I've heard you do is bitch about the fact that you don't want a black Superman. Tell me what I'm supposed to think. Like, you know, it's just, it kind of is mind boggling to me. The fact that they'll, they'll, they'll throw all this crap out there and they'll bitch about all these things. And then when somebody calls them out on it, then of course it's like, no, 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 not me, not me. And it's like, okay, dude, whatever. First yeah, of all, I, they haven't even cast an actor to play Superman yet. Second of all, if they do cast a person of color to play Superman, what does it matter? You haven't read the script. You don't know what it's going to look like. You know, it's, it, it's so, it's just, it's one of those things that I don't understand. It's the same with the backlash to Ray, to Rose, you know, to, to female characters, to you know, anything that doesn't fit their particular vision is not only fair game for criticism, but now it's fair game for a level of criticism which resembles some sort of like scorched earth policy that drives people off their Instagram, that causes them to have anxiety, so much anxiety that they beg the writers of the next film to make sure they don't have a big part. Which Kelly, Kelly Marie Tran apparently, allegedly, told the writers, I don't want a big part in Rise of Skywalker. Because she had been so affected by the bullying, the cyberbullying that she got oh, during God, The Last I, Jedi. I didn't know that. Which is why Rose has such a small part in the movie. And I loved her. Because she, she had like the more central part. It's in like, the, what it, gives it, you the right? Because she had the more central part in uh, the second movie. What was the name of the second movie? Yeah. The Last Jedi. The, la- the Last Jedi. That was the second movie? Yeah. Yes, yeah, The Last Jedi. That was the second one, yeah. Uh, yeah, I loved her. And I was aware of the yeah. cyberbullying. I didn't realize that she had asked for a smaller part to be written for. That, that, yeah. yeah. 
And that's what, yeah. which I think as a result affected Finn's overall storyline as well. Yeah. And, and here's the thing when, you know, the, the, I joked when Harrison was born, like these conversations of like, in what order do I introduce him to the star Wars movies? Blah, blah, blah. They, you know, that's what, it, that's for social media laughs. I think more, I'm looking forward to introducing him to the Marvel's movies. That'll be more interesting. Yes. Cause I feel like their storytelling, um, it's more true to, to some sort of vision than it is to relenting to uh, to the worst of the fanboys. Right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I you know, I think that, again, what Marvel has done and, and, and what, like, uh, you know, Paul Feige and, and, and the crew that have worked on these films and the television series have done um, is pretty remarkable because it, it it's not easy, clearly. You know, you look at what Warner Brothers has tried to do with DC Expanded Universe, and, you know, you look at what Disney has tried to do with Star Wars, and um, it's been difficult. And, 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 you know, where Disney has succeeded is by, you know, trusting the creators, um, the creators having a vision, you know, like Jean Favreau and Dave Filoni with The Mandalorian, um, and, and, and really seeing that through. And I think it's been a learning process for all involved. Um, you know, but I think that when you, when you look at like shared universes, that the MCU is definitely the symbol, you know, the, the roadmap that says, Hey, if you're going to do this, take the time, the care, work with the right people, um, and follow through, you know, don't worry about what's, what happens when you make your, you know, your first Captain America movie or your first Thor movie and the response is a little tepid. Because you're going to get there and you're going to have your, you know, you're going to have your, um, uh, uh, you know, your moments where maybe things are kind of like, yeah, this is good, you know, or your third Iron Man movie or whatever. But by the time you get to Endgame, sure. it, it doesn't matter, you know. You're going to have your people, Incredible Hulk, which I like, yeah. but still. I mean, here's the, and I just really like articulated this in my head as you were talking. The DC movies aren't so bad. They would not be so bad if the MCU didn't exist. But the sure. MCU does it so damn well. They make DC look bad. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it's not like the MCU hasn't sort of taken opportunities to say, yeah, you know, we made this and there are certain things that are integrated, but overall we're going to ignore it. Like with Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., like Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is kind of no longer on the roadmap now. You know, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. was a show that they produced at the time saying like, yeah, it's going to fit in. It's going to work. And now it's kind of just its own thing. Was it decanonized, Um, basically? Kind of, yeah. The uh, all of the Netflix Marvel shows, which again were supposed to kind of fit. There's references, especially in the first season of Daredevil. There's all sorts of references to the Avengers movie yeah. and you know to other things. Now those shows are you know they don't really exist in in the canon anymore. Um, for what it's worth, I thought the first two seasons of Daredevil were superb. I thought the first season of Jessica Jones might be even better than that. I thought the first season of The Punisher was fantastic. Um, yeah, unfortunately, the second season of Jessica Jones was hot garbage. You know, you know here, here's the thing. I, I, I started watching the second season only because I loved the first season so much, but I knew it was going to be a letdown because after you have David Tennant as your big bad, where do you go from there? Right. Especially with a character who has the powers that Kilgrave has. Right. Like, well, where and, do you go from there? You, 
they spent so much time in that first season, you know, having, you know, Jessica face a lot of her demons and seemingly, you know, start to overcome and deal with a lot of those things that to, to basically set the character back in the second season for basically drama's sake felt like kind of a betrayal of all the character growth and work that had been done in the first season. I'm not saying I wanted like a perfectly healed, you know, Jessica Jones running around in the second season. She still had demons to battle, but it felt like it, it felt like there was a mission in, in the second season that after a couple of episodes that we're going to put her back to square one. Sure. You know, as opposed to this is someone who's really, really like grown a lot over the course of all of this. So, yeah. And you I was know, like, we, that's I mean, neither here nor there. Yeah. Here at the Fremire household, we love Jessica Jones so much. We named our dog <laughs> Jessica Jones. So, but yeah, but I don't think that's going to happen to WandaVision yeah. to bring it back around. I don't think it's going to get decanonized right. as it goes along. No. In fact, I would say that, you know, the care and attention that they have taken with WandaVision right down to the filmmaking itself is, you know, it is absolutely what Paul Feige kind of promised is that he intended for these shows to be on par with the films that these shows were not just going to be like a watered down version, which, which, you know, if we're just shooting straight, agents of shield was a watered down version of everything that made the MCU great. You know, you had one actor that you could kind of bring in to, to, to kind of ground the show with Clark Gregg. Who's great. He's great. You know, you had a couple of guest spots from Sam Jackson and, you know, Sif from the Thor movies and, um, uh, Maria Hill, Kobe Smulders, you know, you had that, but other than that, you know, there wasn't anything else. And by the time they got to like their third or fourth season, that show no longer seemed to resemble or have anything whatsoever to do with the MCU. And and that's fine, but it was never, it never rose to the heights that of the movies. Whereas WandaVision, in my estimation, in the first four episodes alone, Again, down to the cinematography, the the script, the performances, equaled some of the highs of the films. Oh yeah, I would agree with that. And I know it's worth noting. I think the average budget per episode is like twenty five million dollars. So crazy. Because sometimes, like even like <laughs> like uh, like the most recent episode, like its opening scene was a very special effects laden. Scene, and I found myself rewatching it with Betsy last night, just kind of like looking for the cracks that you see in TV special effects. Right. And I could find none. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, uh, should we just switch to spoiler talk? No, I mean, I guess what I wanted to say about like WandaVision, like non spoiler free, like for the first couple episodes, is the thing that I appreciate about the show is that it seems like the Venn diagram between, between people who appreciate old sitcoms like Dick Van Dyke mm-hmm. and Bewitched and comic book nerds seems to be a relatively small overcross uh, <laughs> lap. So I'm like, this ticks up because like I, I grew up watching Dick Van Dyke and Bewitched and, and, and Old Nick at Night. So like the first two episodes, like everything like from the MCU aside, like you could take the first two episodes just based on like what the premise of the show within the show is of witch and half robot trying to hide their identities in suburbia. And those episodes work. Yeah. 
Like, I could see that existing as a sitcom. Absolutely. That's the thing that I think I enjoyed so much, especially I think the second episode specifically really hit on I love the magic show um, in the second episode. The, that? the magic show. Yeah, yes. The, I thought the first episode was great, don't get me wrong, but the second episode specifically, I'm like you. If that was an actual show, I would watch just that. I would watch that show. Like, it wouldn't have to have the MCU hook. Like, I would think that was funny and intelligent and well-acted. Like, I would just want to watch that show. Um, and that, to me, is, is definitely a sign of, of the... Um, the success of the creators, like really kind of coming together and 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 uh, being able to use these tropes um, from sitcom past and apply them to this to this story. And, and like you said, it's it's like the ingredients were already there, you know, uh, uh, a witch and her android husband hiding out in suburbia. Um, but you do it as a as a you know twenty five minute sitcom. It's like yeah, if you pitched if you pitched that to somebody at any point in in television history, somebody probably would have been like, "Yeah, let's make that a show." I mean, they basically already have. Really, I mean, they had, in, in a lot I, of ways. Last weekend, I went back and I watched like the first two episodes of Bewitched because they're they're free on IMDb TV, mm-hmm. and I'm like, "Wow, yeah, this is this is this is basically like Wandavision in half." Instead of two super, right. you know, instead of two super beings, whatever, you just have the one. And like, yeah, this is it. Um, but yeah, yeah, I love it. But I have a lot of friends like they could not they could not get through those first two episodes because they don't have the appreciation for old sitcoms. Uh, and maybe this can be our segue into spoiler territory. What I told them to do was like start watching it. Episode four. Watch episode four. See how this really fits into the real quote, the real world. Mm-hmm. And then jump back and then watch those episodes because then you can kind of appreciate what is going on. Yeah. And I, I think that you're right. I think that 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 is a route that some people could take if they want to. For me personally, I. That that level of, of you know, almost hand holding basically uh, would have. I don't know, would have diminished the show, in my opinion, by 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 watching the first three episodes as they are and then seeing that fourth episode. It was so much fun to, you know, kind of fill in the blank at certain times and see how the pieces really start to fit together. Um, I told you, know, Jess asked me right off the bat, you know, she's like, what do you think this is going to be about before we started watching it? Uh, and, and I told her, I think it's going to be about one woman grieving and how she comes to term with that grief. And it just so happens that she has incredible powers and can do whatever she wants. So maybe she doesn't deal with that grief in the most positive of manners, but rather than, you know, do a lot of drugs or, you know, drink or, you know, whatever, she gets to create this world, um, you know, that, that she can live in. And part of that was because I was aware of, you know, comic book storylines like House of M, um, which which this series draws a bit on, uh, which basically was a uh, that storyline in Marvel accomplished a couple of things. It it allowed them to uh, diminish the role of mutants in the comic books because at that particular time, the MCU was just getting started. But unfortunately, 
they did not uh, own the rights to the mutants. They'd sold those off to Fox. So the idea was, let's put more focus on the non-mutant characters that are going to be featured in these movies that we're really going to be pushing, and let's find a way to do that. Because at that particular point in Marvel Comics history, mutants were everywhere. You know, the mutants were like your flagship characters. And so the idea was that Wanda, uh, Scarlet Witch, has created this world in her mind, in her own vision, because uh, of trauma that she suffered due to similar events like happened in, in the comics. I don't want to say too much because I don't, I don't know what's going to happen in, in the future of the show. But uh, So, so I, I knew that that would probably be a, a bit of it. Um, the, you know, the thing that, that fascinated me from the get-go is, is that there, were, there are hints, even in that first episode, you know, upon close viewing, there are hints right off the bat that, you know, that things are amiss um, beyond just the idea that this is Wanda envisioned in the 1950s sitcom. There, you know, there are little things that happen. Um, it's such a, I just feel like it's a rewarding show. So I, there's a part of me that doesn't understand why people would stop if they are at all interested or invested in the MCU, much less if they like old time sitcoms. I don't know. I mean, I, yes, I very much had the same thought, but again, I, I love old sitcoms, so I could appreciate right. all of that. But yeah, um, and what I also loved about those first two episodes is that this may seem like a little bit of a stretch, uh, but it almost kind of reminded me of Life on Mars, where, uh, where you have a character mm. that is in this weird reality that you don't, you don't quite know what it is, and they keep dropping hits that something is amiss. Um, I especially felt that similarity in the second episode when the voice comes through the radio and says, Wanda, who's doing this to you, Wanda? Uh, that is something very similar to the things that they did with Life on Mars. Life on Mars, if you don't know, was originally a UK series. Uh, it was a short-lived US series about a uh, present-day cop who gets in an accident, and he wakes up, and he is a cop working the same uh, precinct um, in the 1970s. And there's like the saying of like, is he really in the 1970s? Is he crazy? Is he in a coma after his accident? You don't know. Um, and I and I felt maybe not plot wise, but very like like, like thematically and some of like the little tricks that he did in the first couple episodes, I felt uh, kind of a little bit of similarities between between those two. Yeah. Um, but I, yeah, yes, I, like, I, I, I loved all the, like the creepy little bits, like they, they put in the first couple episodes, uh, like in the first five minutes, like, you know, something is amiss because both Wanda and Vision, they can't seem to remember what their life was like before they moved to Westview. Like even like what their life was like before that right. particular day. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah, and it's 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 one of those things too that I think um again the show the show is not made it can be enjoyed, yes. But let's face it, this show is not made for people who aren't already familiar with these characters. And I say that, you know, mostly because even from that first episode, there is a sense of sadness and loss that 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 pervades certain moments. And even the, you know, yes, it fits the trope, obviously, um, of a 1950s sitcom 
and, 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 you know, visually it's striking, but the idea that this world is drained of color is also so perfect. Um, I mean, when Vision dies in Infinity War, his body drains mm-hmm. of all the color as the stone is ripped out. Like, the, there's, you know, there's so much more at play here that goes far beyond just saying, like, hey, we're going to have fun with these sitcoms. Um, the way that memory um, is used, the, you know, the fact that, yeah, they don't remember. Um, now, of course, Wanda does. She's just kind of fooled herself. Um, you, you know, and, and I think starts to, you know, those layers get ripped away quicker for her than anyone else. But, but like, uh, uh, the idea that Vision can't remember anything, the idea that some of these moments are pulled from her memory of these, of watching these sitcoms when she was a girl, the idea that her memory of this, of this person she loved is so strong that she, you know, literally recreates them. Like, it's just, I don't know, to me, there is something so fundamentally strong about the writing and the creation of, of these episodes in this world that when you start to think about these larger pieces like that, like grief and memory and loss and love, the way that it ties into the whole picture the way that you've got that macro level understanding from, you know, from everyone involved in the creative process. It's, it's just a beautiful example of, of art and entertainment. Um, and I think that the way that we digest television these days, mostly has changed so much that maybe part of the issue for some people is having to wait that week, you know, is you get that first episode and then you have to wait a week for episode two and, and, and then you get to episode two and you're like, this is, this still isn't what I thought it was going to be. And now you have to wait another week as opposed to being able to binge. Cause I would imagine if all 10 episodes or nine episodes had dropped at once and you would have been able to watch those first four episodes in one sitting, I imagine there are a lot of people that stopped watching that never would have stopped to begin with. Oh, sure. And I was, we've kind of had a different experience because I've been watching it as it's come out. So I've had to wait weeks between right. episodes, but you just recently, like right. you just binged it all in this last week. Right. Yeah. I was able to take in two episodes a night, which is different. But, but even if I hadn't been, I, I would have, I, I absolutely would have been hooked on it from the get go. Oh, sure. It, it, yeah. I just, I, I'm. I do, I do wonder about that, you know? Um, I think, you know, there's, there's been a lot of talk online how this show benefits from that because it, it, it's basically, it's set up like a comic book. Like, like you have to wait for the next installment to come out and it gives you a week to like really, right. to like the episode really sit with you and for, you know, for all the fan theories and, you know, for the guessing, especially after uh, Pietro or Fietro shows up. Like, you know. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> what the hell, what the hell does, was that mean? Um, I, I think there are a lot of shows that benefit from being bingeable because I, I think, frankly, there are a lot of shows they aren't that great, hmm. but you don't notice it because you can binge them. But if you sure. had to wait a week between episodes, that's how I felt about Orange is the New Black. Uh, to pull on a show yeah. from a completely different genre. But I think the show really benefits from having to wait from week to week. Um, but yeah, I've... Uh, 
I've really enjoyed it. I've really enjoyed like I, I feel all of the uh, the opening theme songs nail it. Especially oh, gosh, yeah. especially the late eighties, early nineties. Yep. Uh, family ties, full house, mashup. Growing pains, yeah. The oh yeah. Whew, yeah, that just Yeah. That was uh yeah, on a very special episode, the fifth episode, yeah. That was, and that was, um, and I will say, as far as, like, the world cracking uh, for Wanda, that had one of the most genuinely creepy moments. It's a small thing, and maybe it didn't hit other people in the same way, but it really hit me in a weird way, is in uh, the opening scene of that episode after the babies are born and Agnes comes over and... Vision kind of has that little freak out about letting her hold the babies, and Agnes just completely drops character and turns to Wanda and is like, "Do you want me? Do you want me to take that again? Do you want me to hold the babies?" Oh, to me, that is so goddamn creepy. Yeah, well, because the thing is, is by this time, you know, by this episode, we realize that Wanda has been basically editing the experience in her little world, Mm -hmm. which is, you know, we we see all these stutters and the thing that they, that was so brilliant, the choice that was made, the show also benefits by the way, from having not only from having a singular showrunner slash writer in Jack Schaefer, who she is amazing. She, um, wrote Captain Marvel and the upcoming Black Widow movie as well as, you know, other work. And then, um, Matt Shackman, who is the director. And when I say he's the director, I mean, he directed the whole Thing. And I think that the show benefits greatly from having one director to help tie all these elements together. But even the very first episode, one of the things that I was talking about earlier uh, is you have these like little stutters that almost look like if you're watching, you know, a show on Netflix and, you know, your Internet drops for just a heartbeat or, or, or there's a weird little you know glitch or something. They look like that as opposed to being like an old school you know, film cut jump or something like that. And it works so brilliantly because I think the first time it happens, you are almost fooled into thinking that there's something wrong with my internet or there's something wrong with, you know, that this isn't, this isn't supposed to be happening, uh, which is just brilliant. And, And then of course it happens a couple more times and you realize like, Oh no, this is in the show. And, and so by the time, of course we get to that moment, um, when Agnes asked that question, yeah, you're just sort of like, man, Wanda has been editing these experiences mm-hmm. the entire time. Yeah. Um, so much so that even like Darcy, who I love, <laughs> Cat Daddy's great. Yeah. And like, I love the fact that when she is, is watching the shows that she gets so invested in the show. Yeah. I mean, like, she's, she's us. Just yeah. In it. Yeah. She's the viewer. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And, um, She's a character that because of her, like, this is the first time I've seen her because I had not seen Thor. So mm, so okay. I went back and I'm about I have about 30 minutes left to watch Thor now. Um, so I've jumped back to watch uh, to watch that movie now. Uh, but, yeah, I, I really enjoy her as a character. I hope she continues to go on in the universe. Um, is she in the other uh, the Dark World? Is she in she's that? in Dark World. She's in that one she's too. Not in the third, she's not in the third one, though. Yeah. Uh, Ragnarok was the only Thor movie I had seen all the way through before. Yeah. Okay. Um, um, and that's it, the thing. Yeah, it, what, what I love is like this has made me go back. Like I've gone back and I rewatched Age of Ultron, which I don't think I had mm-hmm. seen since it first came out. 
uh, I went back and I rewatched Civil War, and you you were talking about earlier about how a lot of times that they will rush character development for the sake that they get to have like a thirty minute fight at the end of the at the end of the movie. I found both with Age of Ultron and Civil War. Actually, I didn't even finish either one of those movies. I got to I got to the big battle at the end, and I was like, all right, all right, I'm I'm good. Like I, I, I don't need I don't need to see the big battle at the end. Like I, I I get it. It's masturbation. Sure, whatever. The one argument, you know, the one argument I would make for Civil War is that there's a lot of character development that actually happens in the battle. Sure, which is why I think Civil War is rightfully is is usually held up as one of the best MCU movies. I think I, I think they do a lot right in that. But I get what you're saying too. I, I absolutely get what you're saying. Um, and and don't and don't disagree with the notion that sometimes once you get to one of those if you're like if you're a junkie for that sort of stuff then here you go but if you don't necessarily need it it's like i got the story i'm good you know um yeah the inclusion of darcy is is smart it works it's great the you know the reappearance of jimmy woo who has you know a fairly small part in ant-man and the wasp um is a larger character in marvel in the the comic books um but also still kind of a, a, a a smaller player uh, but he's great in this, yeah. obviously, for did, many reasons. Did you catch his uh, his card trick at the at, when they in his very first scene? I don't know if I did. I, I I had missed this. I saw one of the articles. This had me sitting for like two days at my desk, looking at YouTube videos, trying to like learn how to do the card trick. In uh, in Ant Man and the Wasp, uh, um, Paul Rudd's character. I can't think of his name right now. Um, Scott Lang. Scott Lang. Uh, Scott Lang does an up close card trick of like pulling a playing card out of thin air, and Wu is like, "How do you do okay. that?" And like later in that movie, you see Wu at his desk practicing that trick. <laughs> I had missed this, and then I went back and I rewatched the episode and like read the articles. When Wu is introduced in his first scene in episode four, he does that card trick to produce his FBI badge. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, I, I, I did miss that. I, you know, one of the things that I will say, and part of this is because I just watched the, the latest episode today, I have purposely decided to, and I, and I tend to do this um, uh, just because I like to see what I can catch on my own. Uh, I haven't read anything. So I haven't, like, read the Easter eggs. Because like, I caught a lot of them, I, I think, on my own. But I, I am looking forward to reading, you know, the, about the rest that I didn't, that I didn't get. Um, you know, of course, the, the, the biggest character, I think, that is not Wanda or Vision in this show uh, up until this last episode is easily Monica Rambeau. Um, and if you've seen Captain Marvel, you've seen Monica before as a little girl. Um, I knew eventually, you know, we'd get to see her as an adult, and I was looking forward to it. In Marvel Comics, there is a, a period of time when Carol Danvers is no longer Captain Marvel, and who should take over the mantle? but Monica Rambeau. Now, after Carol Danvers comes back and, you know, takes the mantle of Captain Marvel, Monica has developed powers of her own, and so she ends up being a hero called Photon, which was her mother's call sign in Captain Marvel. Um, I'm thrilled that we have this character back. Uh, I I think that, uh, you know, um, they have chosen really, you know, a wonderful way to integrate her into the the world at large, and I can't wait to see her, you know, grow in, in this, in the MCU. Uh, Tayana Paris is great um, in the role, and uh, I think that once you, you know, once you get to episode four, uh, and you really get to follow her, you know, journey through this, 
It's awesome. And I love the fact that here we are, you know, what, two years plus or, or no, about two years after Endgame came out and we are able to still see the ramifications of the blip of the snap of Thanos' snap and see these people coming back in ways that are genuinely at turns funny, frightening, uh, incredibly sad, you know, as in Monica's case. Um, They're not going to let something like that be swept under the rug and like, oh, we already dealt with this, it's over. It was clearly, they know it was a earth-shaking, world-shattering event, and they're going to explore what it meant for these characters for a while to come, and I'm really, really glad to see that. Here's a little bit of trivia that I didn't know about the snap blip until this. Originally, like, uh, among the writers of the MCU, they had planned to call the event the blip, but then fans started calling it the snap. So they adapted the snap into into the movies. Uh, and in WandaVision, they call it the blip. But I think elsewhere, they've kind of split the difference and they call uh, everybody disappearing the snap and everybody coming back the blip. Okay. Um, which I had never heard of the blip until watching WandaVision. Um, but all that being said, yes, I love... Uh, yeah, I love how they explore uh, they explore that. I love the opening of episode four. Online, someone did uh, a wonderful. They put like side by side or, or, or on top of bottom. They they synced up Monica coming back with Hulk snapping his fingers um, yeah. in Endgame and, and and showing all those folks. You know, showing you know those two things mashed up together. Um, That's awesome. So that was uh, yeah, that was really super interesting. And, yeah, to kind of go off on a, on a bit of a tangent on a podcast that is nothing but tangents. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, after Endgame, I was skeptical of how the Marvel Universe was going to move forward. Because I was like, how, how do you move forward after an event like the Snap? And have everybody come back. And how do you not have just every single movie be about that and only that and that right. and that trauma? Um, because how can you go to anything resembling normal right now after that? And then we had COVID-19. And... <laughs> <laughs> And, you know, this past week, as of, you know, uh, when we were recording this, we passed the, the very grim milestone of having 500,000 Americans die. I'm like, oh, that's how you do it. To keep your sanity, yeah. you got to compartmentalize. Right. Well, and I think, and I, I'm an idiot. I don't know why I was saying Paul earlier. I'm sure we're going to get some comments about this from people who listen early on and then rush to their keyboards. Maybe not. I don't know. We'll see. It's Kevin Feige, not Paul Feige. I don't know what the hell I was thinking. But anyways, one of the things, you know, that, that Kevin Feige even mentioned, uh, I think, after Infinity War, even before Endgame came out, is that we would see this have an impact you know, throughout the films and maybe in some unexpected ways. And the Russo brothers said the same thing. And, and I think one of the things that the Russo brothers did so beautifully in Endgame was include that scene of Steve Rogers leading the, um, 
the you know the survivors group. Um, they're all sitting around in a circle and they're talking, and, and and it's just sort of like little moments like that, and then obviously seeing you know Black Widow's reaction to everything, and 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 you know their trauma in particular, um, is a reminder that yes, we we do we compartmentalize, we find ways to carry on to help ourselves to help other people, um, and yet a lot of times that trauma will manifest itself in unexpected ways. Um, you know, I think now we've had two pieces of the MCU, Far From Home and WandaVision, deal a lot specifically with with what happened and how people, you know, kind of pick up the pieces. And I am, again, I'm just so grateful for that because they're not hitting the giant Star Trek reset button. You know, they're not just soldiering forth they're not, you know, they're, they, they are just saying these things mattered and they're going, it will continue to matter. And I think that kind of like what you're saying with COVID is it's like we find ways to deal. And yet at the same time, the trauma that we've experienced collectively over this past year will continue to manifest itself for years to come in some truly unexpected ways, I think. And there's so much bottled up. I know there are a lot of people, and I might end up being one of them, that the moment that we truly can go out and kind of start to get back to normal, the moment that we can really just kind of hug someone that we would normally hug, but maybe not every time, the first time that that sort of stuff can start to happen again is going to feel like such an exhalation that I don't think most of us can even comprehend, you know, the, the, the healing quality that that will have. Um, you know, the first time Wrigley Field is at capacity for a baseball game, there are going to be people in tears as that first, you know, pitch is thrown. And that the seventh inning stretch is going to happen and people are going to be shaking hands and hugging one another like you're at church on a Sunday and it's time for fellowship. Like, it, I, I think that that there are a lot of people that have fooled themselves into things being okay and are trying to go out and do the things they would normally do, there are enough of us that aren't that even those people that have fooled themselves aren't going to be able to comprehend the impact that those types of moments will have on them once we're able to actually return to that. And that may still be a year away. I think that's true. I'm reflecting on, we're going on a real tangent now. Maybe we'll cut this out. We probably won't. You, <laughs> you know us. Um, so we, uh, we decided to take, uh, or I took Harrison today to an indoor like playground park, like uh, uh, Fit City Kids. You, I don't know if you've driven by it. It's the old uh, women's workout world on Lawrence by the post office. Oh, okay. Yeah, sure. Um, and, and so we took them and... Uh, I felt good about it because everything that their information online is, I thought that they were doing it as safe as possible. So in the first half hour that we were there, I felt every, like what you said, like, Oh, this is, it's kind of, it's almost kind of like, it feels normal. And there was like, feeling like, Oh, like this, like this feels good. This is going to be good for both him and for me and whatever back to normal. Uh, then as the morning went on, more and more kids came in and it was like, Oh, we were under the impression, like, because I had to make a reservation for this. 
Like, oh, I thought like there was going to be like 10 kids here in the entire facility max. And that's not the case. Yeah. Okay, we're leaving. Yeah. And it was kind of like the, like almost like, this is almost something like approaching normal now. Oh, no, this isn't. And it was yeah. almost like this weird kind of, uh, not traumatic, I will say, but it's like, oh, no, we can't really get back to normal and people are going to abuse stuff. All right, let's go home. <laughs> it's like that feeling of like continually being disappointed by something. Sure. Yeah. After a while, after a while, the disappointment doesn't register quite the way that it did at first. Yeah. But it's still disappointing. But it's still there. there. Yeah. So it's like, yeah. oh, all right. Maybe this wasn't a good idea after a while. All right, let's go home. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, it, you know, and I think one of the, you know, going back to WandaVision, actually, one of the things that's kind of remarkable in the way that, that the blip is handled uh, is that there's this, you know, there's this sense of a rush to get back to normal. Mm-hmm. You know, Monica even, you know, rushes back to work with S.W.O.R.D., um, she, you know, she wants to be back, you know, in space, um, which is interesting because this is something that kind of low key gets dropped, but this is really the first that we're hearing of like, y- you know, the non superhero types going into space to try and kind of like figure out what's going on up there which is really cool because it sets the stage for a lot of neat stuff. And I think that, you know, in particular with the anticipation of a potential secret invasion, um, with the scrolls and everything that, that this is kind of helping to kind of set that, um, lay that foundation, which I think is great because if we are kind of going to be dismissing agents of shield, then any of their kind of outer space stuff that they've done you know, doesn't really necessarily count. And I think that this is a great way to sort of lay some of that groundwork to, you know, for the future and obviously have a character like Monica Rambeau be, you know, central to that. Um, but, but anyway, yeah, I mean, she's rushing, you know, trying to get back to normal, which is what precipitates her taking, uh, this case on, you know, this, this missing person thing Mm -hmm. in, in Westview, New Jersey. Uh, I, I again, I just I love the way that the creators really. And if I had any criticisms of the show, it would actually be geared towards the latest episode. But I love the way that for these, you know, for the first eight episodes or seven episodes of show of the show, they just present things as they are, you know, and and you kind of have a choice as the viewer to to accept them or not. You know, it's like it's up to you to ask the questions. It's like they want the viewer to do some of the work. They don't want to just hold your hand through everything. And so there's this lovely moment when like the, the cops are like, there is no Westview, New Jersey. And they're standing right, right in front next of the, yeah. the Westview, New Jersey side. Mm-hmm. And then they just get in their car and they drive off. Sure. And I feel like there are a lot of other shows that would have made a meal out of that. Oh yeah. And instead it's just like, nope, this is just the way things are. Now they're hiking, you know, taking a hike. Yeah. And it's great because it, it, it gives you this unexplained mystery to, to be engaged with, to be a part of. And, and in many ways, you know, you, you mentioned Darcy earlier kind of being our stand in when she's watching the show. 
And in some ways, Monica is as much our stand-in as anything because she's the one that's kind of like asking the questions and trying to push things forward. And I feel like by the time we get to this episode, that's a lot of us as viewers. Mm -hmm. You know, we're sitting there going like, what is happening? How is this happening? When are we going to find out more? And it, and so it's, it, it is a great episode. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love it because of the way that, yeah, those moments are tied into the prior episodes with Monica going in for the first time, with them seeing her inside. With You know, it's just... It, it, it's a real highlight, and not just of the series, but of the MCU in general. I think so, yeah. I would definitely agree. I, I, I put this before on social media. This is probably the thing I've been most excited about out of the MCU, probably since the Avengers. Like mm-hmm. the first Avengers movie. Uh, and I sure. say that because I, I feel um, I feel like the Avengers movie just kind of like turned everything on its head of like like what, like a big, huge tent event superhero movie could be. Um, yeah. I feel like the the first Tobey Maguire Spider-Man did that in like 2001, I think, 2001, mm-hmm. 2002. Did it then, and then the Avengers did it. And I, I feel like there have been great MCU movies since then, but like I feel like this kind of like turns the convention on its head of like what they can do. Right, with of what it can be with the genre, yeah. And if I had any complaints about WandaVision, it would probably be this most recent episodes because I this most recent episode because I felt like here are my two issues. One, it was a little spoon feedy. Yep, exactly. And I was like, uh, you know, because I, I had read like some some talk, like some speculation, like people explaining like why uh, why does it make sense for Wanda, who is not an American, to be to have American oh. sitcoms so ingrained in her. Sure. And basically like an article, like kind of like made the argument of, of no, because it probably something like this. And it was very much something that came out of this, what was produced out of this episode. And I was like, on yeah. one hand, I appreciated it. On the other hand, I felt like it was a little spoon feedy. Um, the other, and here's where I'm curious. And maybe they're going to answer this question in, uh, in the next episode is, now we know, and this is my interpretation of it, tell me if you think I'm off, is that, like, like no, Vision is dead. Vision is dead, dead. She didn't revive him. Uh, like, even he is a manifestation of her imagination, of her grief. So I feel that kind of undercuts the, uh, the discovery like the last the, the two episodes previous of Vision going off on his own and finding these out on his own. So I, um, so first things first, I agree that it was it was a little conventional and spoon feedy uh, in in any show that had been anything but up until this point. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't mind it overall because I felt like so much of it was well done and I felt like Elizabeth Olsen's performance specifically really mm-hmm. anchored you know she was she was great um, I mean let's not forget Catherine Hahn who I didn't want to mention up to this point because I didn't want to you know when we were kind of avoiding spoilers I felt like sure. by singling her out too much might might lead into spoilers she's been magnificent she's always magnificent she's great in everything I've ever seen her in uh, but, but, but what a wonderful, like, it's just a wonderful stage for her because there are times in the early episodes when she is obviously very committed to, this is the Dick Van Dyke show and I'm the neighbor and this is, you know, and then there are moments when, like you were mentioning when she's like, do you want me to take that again? 
where all of a sudden she is, she rides that line between I am 1980s, you know, nosy neighbor and I am an actor in a play asking for my line. And, and like, it is so seamless. It's like that, you know, they used to say, uh, people used to talk about how great of an actor Mickey Rooney was when he was a kid. Because they talked about he could be sitting in a chair, offset, you know, smoking a cigarette, eating a sandwich, talking with the production assistant, all this sort of stuff. Then all of a sudden they'd say, we're ready for you. He'd jump onto the set. They'd say lights, camera, action. And he would immediately like he just he was there. He had there was no there was no you know, he didn't need any time to warm up. He didn't. you know, And that is it's just like it kind of reminds me of that quality of just being able to like bam, bam. Like I, it, I don't need I don't need anything else. I'm there. I'm in it. I can play what's given and it's, it's just wonderful work. And then, so of course, by the time she gets to be Agatha Harkness, it's like, I think some, maybe some people who are being a little bit harsher with the criticism, not that part of it's not justified might be missing the point a little bit because in a show that is played with conventions by steering into some conventions, what else could you possibly expect? And what would be unexpected in a way than to steer into a comic book movie convention of having your villain, you know, kind of walk you through the tale of how this here, you know, when they're figuring everything out. So in a way it's like, yes, it's exactly what you said it was. It's exactly what I'm saying. It is when I criticize it as being a little spoon feeding, but yet at the same time, it kind of makes sense Mm -hmm. and it kind of works. Um, the thing about vision is I felt and still feel based off of what Agatha says to Wanda that Wanda literally recreated vision. That is not a part of her. That is not like a part of her, you know, imagination world, really Mm -hmm. that what she created is literally vision. And so he has independent thought in the same way the kids do. The kids exist independently. So Mm -hmm. I think that she literally, she created them out of nothing, which is one of the things that Agatha is like, that's, you know, the most powerful, powerful there is. You shouldn't have that. How do you, how did you become this way? You know, that kind of drags, drives Agatha into asking those big questions. And so for me, vision in the Halloween episode, which is also brilliant, mm-hmm. um, you know, everything he does in the context of that episode is, I mean, it, it is an autonomous individual and not just a part of Wanda's grand plan because I think that that's the idea is it's like she why would she create vision to be another character in her play like these other people have become she wouldn't want that she wants the real vision Mm -hmm. so I think that it is a vision okay it's just a vision who can't exist outside of this world that she's created which I think is probably the same thing with the kids they're real they just probably can't exist outside the world that she's created right now anyway that makes sense. That works for me. And I think it's also kind of indicated by the fact that when she is creating vision in the in the episode, especially yeah, the it's, way yeah, yeah, it's it's literally out of nothing. Whereas everything else is she's drawing on things. Even when she creates the house, it's clearly drawing pieces of stuff from around her. Mm. But when she creates a vision, it's literally coming from her. her. Yeah, it's that like that golden energy that comes out of her. Which plays back to the fact that the Mind Stone may have enhanced her powers when she interacted with it when Hydra was holding her. One thing I also loved about the episode is I love the fact that it 
it showed us that she had powers before Hydra experimented on her. Yeah. That was one thing that I never really liked about Age of Ultron, saying that you know her powers were a result of experiments from Hydra. I, I just thought that that was a cheap way for them to get around not having mutants in the MCU <laughs> since they didn't own sure. the rights to them. Yeah. Uh, so I'm glad that now they're showing that she had these powers independent of that. Yeah, sure. Now, what do we think of uh, what's going to happen with White Vision? First of all, I love that they did that. Uh, it's a great callback to the comics. Um, there's a, there's a storyline called Vision Quest in particular, where where he is white for a while, and then he he, he becomes you know uh, the the green and red and yellow Vision again, and I think he goes back to being white at one point. Uh, I have a feeling that that's going to be the way that they resurrect Vision in the MCU. Um, that basically they are able to. Uh, Wanda ends up kind of merging her version of Vision with that Vision, and that's how we get Vision back in the normal MCU. It's weird because as I was talking with Jessica earlier, there's a part of me that wonders if that undercuts the sense of grief and loss that pervades the show if they bring him back. And the reason why I'm okay with it is because, as Agatha pointed out, this is a woman who is grieving the loss of her parents and her brother, who she never properly grieved for, and now her lover. And that broke her. Maybe one of the things that we can get out of this is sort of a sense of wish fulfillment and the idea that Vision was never really gone, you know, that because of her interaction with the Mind Stone that maybe she always had the ability to bring him back. She just didn't know it until the end of the series. I'll be maybe a little torn, but mostly I think I'll be okay with it if that is what happens. Got it. Now I'm going to throw this out there because I've seen this uh, pop up in a couple places and it could be, uh, this could be something that's true and they've quickly scrubbed the internet to, to uh, spoil the surprise for little people, or it could be people trolling Um, (laughs) at a couple different points. James Spader has popped up on the cast list for this show. Oh, interesting. So it's speculated that when White Vision speaks in the next episode, it will be the voice of Ultron. I would be okay with that as well. And here's the thing. If they were going to choose characters to resurrect, why not choose characters that were basically artificial to begin with? As opposed to... I hope they never, and I don't think they ever will, resurrect Tony Stark. Do you know what I mean? Oh, God. I'm not yeah. saying that if Robert Downey Jr. doesn't want to like come back and do like a guest spot that they can't do some sort of you know thing with him, fine. Great. Of course, I'd love to see him again. As long as we're not, Tony Stark is alive again. Like, I get in comic books, characters get resurrected all the time, yes. But that's something that they've eschewed thus far. And if they, again, if they decided to resurrect something, I could see them resurrecting like Vision and Ultron. I'd be okay with that. Um, yeah, I don't know. That would be interesting. That'd yeah. be very, very interesting. Um, I've also seen it thrown out there and teased. A lot of people think and are really hopeful that John Krasinski is going to show up as uh, Reed Richards. They really thought that was going to happen. Uh, a couple of episodes ago when Monica was going to meet her, her aerospace guy. Yeah. Um, and apparently, I, I didn't know this until recently, John Krasinski really wants to be in the MCU. I mean, if here's the thing. If he wants it and they're going to cast the role this early, he's going to get it. There's no one else that they're going to cast. The fans want it. 
he wants it. I'm sure they want it. Like, it's one of those things where it's just like, just do it. Um, you know, here's the thing. I know that that movie, that the Fantastic Four movie was announced on the Disney slate this past December. And I think it's for late 2022. So I suppose if they're going to pull the trigger and they were and they are able to do it this early, why not? Right. I don't know. Sure. I would love to see it. Apparently, apparently, I would. Apparently, Matthew McConaughey really wants to be in the MCU. I mean, I'm I'm game. I'm on board with that. Yeah, I'm not a McConaughey hater. <laughs> you know, I'm actually, McConaughey I, uh, I read his uh, his most recent uh, his most recent book, his first book, his only book, uh, basically his memoir, Green Lights. Um, I read that recently. Good read. I'd recommend mm. it. I have to check it out. Yeah. Um, so yeah, those are my thoughts on WandaVision. I'm excited to see it next week. Um, it's one of those, I am, um, it's been a long time since I've been so invested in a TV show that I had to watch it when it first, like within hours of it first coming out. Um, but also I follow the, the accounts I tend to follow on Twitter. I need to watch it very early cause it's very hard to avoid spoilers otherwise. Um, and apparently I am, uh, I am in good company with that because I don't know if you saw this. A couple of weeks ago, uh, so many people logged on right after midnight. They logged on to Disney right after midnight to watch the new episode that they crashed the app. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. Did you uh, did you watch The Mandalorian? I have not. Okay. I, I watched um, um, I watched the first episode and just I guess just not my thing. Life is short. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I, you know, I, um, I've watched it. I've loved it. I thought that, you know, the season two finale was just a, was such a wonderful, like embrace of, of the fandom in so many ways. Um, and, uh, and, and set things up, you know, for what's next in, in some really nice ways as well. Uh, and, and I, I think that you, you can safely say after the success of the Mandalorian, after the success of, WandaVision uh, and the upcoming um, Falcon and Winter Soldier, uh, which I'm sure will also be wonderful, um, that, that you know, we are in for quite the treat with all of the original content that, that we're going to be getting on a streaming service like Disney+. Plus. Um, the fact that, uh, you know, that the streaming services like CBS All Access, which will soon become Paramount+, Plus, are, uh, you know, understanding, um, of the fact that, uh, there, you, you know, you have to kind of create that original content. Um, I, it, it's only going to be great, uh, for, for viewers like us. Um, and, and of course, in a way they, and we all owe a debt to Netflix that kind of started at all. Um, which leads me to the next thing that I wanted to talk about real quick. Um, because I know you've not seen it, and we were talking about what we wanted to talk about uh, this episode, and and I thought I'd throw this in there real quick because we wanted to talk about shows we were watching. Uh, I finished Queen's Gambit this past week. Uh, I think it's brilliant and beautiful, uh, an exceptional piece of television um, about addiction and, um, you know, one of the most wonderful depictions of addiction that I've ever seen. Um, 
nearly any time a television show or a film deals with addiction, we're often given, you know, the, 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 the melodramatic uh, rock bottom moment and how they get out of that. We don't get to see the people who are, you know, functional alcoholics or drug addicts. We don't get to see the way that it insidiously poisons other aspects of their lives. We, we only see the moment where everything gets turned upside down and now they have to find a way out. The fact that this show so brilliantly portrays all of that other stuff, you know, besides rock bottom, uh, is really quite beautiful. Um, Anya Taylor-Joy is, is just uh, amazing um, in, the, in the, the lead role. Um, you know, there's, there's some great uh, uh, actors um, that, that just pepper the series in other roles. Um, and, and, and I can't recommend it enough. I, I, I truly, truly believe it's one of the best things that I've seen, period, um, from start to finish. I, I think it's a wonderful, wonderful show. And uh, I can't I can't recommend it enough. I, I really can't like it, it to me. I already include it in the ranks of shows like, you know, Mad Men, The Sopranos and West Wing, which which for me are three of my favorite shows ever. I would put Queen's Gambit comfortably to sit alongside them. I think it's that good. Wow. How long are the episodes? Um, How long do they run? An hour. Oh, OK. All right. Yeah. That's an investment. Yeah, I can some make. Some, yeah. some a little bit less, some a little bit more. You know, it, it depends. Yeah. Um. But yeah, it's wonderful. It's wonderful. And and for anyone who's, you know, who's kind of sitting there thinking to themselves, do I really want to watch a show about chess? Trust me, it's about everything, everything. But I mean, chess and, is definitely there, obviously. But Sure. Yeah. yeah. Very much the same way uh, MASH is about the Korean War and, right. and Sports Night is about sports. Exactly. Exactly. Um, and then back to superheroes real quick. I also did watch the uh, premiere episode of Superman and Lois. Uh, as someone who has not really followed the CW verse of DC Comics shows, other than watching like the first couple of seasons of The Flash, um, I, I was aware uh, of Superman and Lois having been cast within Supergirl initially, and then carrying over into episodes of The Flash and Arrow as well. Um, I watched a little bit of Crisis on Infinite Earths, the crossover that they did last year. Uh, I was, I liked him. I liked what I saw of him in this first episode of Supergirl. Uh, I liked what they were doing overall. I think that those shows in general, though, are not necessarily for me. I thought that the first two seasons of The Flash were very well done. I thought they were really good. I thought there were some great moments, writing, acting, directing, whole nine yards. The rest of that stuff, I thought was fairly bad TV. Mm -hmm. Uh, I thought Arrow was a pretty bad show that got a lot of miles out of a great star. I thought the, I thought Stephen Amell was great. I, I really like him. I thought the rest of the show was pretty bad. Um, I thought Supergirl kind of the same case. You had a really great Supergirl, the rest, not so much. Um, Superman and Lois genuinely surprised me. I thought it was with a couple of, Issues here, there, very well written, very well directed, out of this world special effects, um, a great heart to the story, some wonderful Easter eggs. Um, it's not going to blow you away. It's not going to change the world. But if you're looking for, you know, if you're looking to to watch something and 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 want, you know, 
superheroes and where where else can you start but Superman I, I, I think it, it's worth checking out at the very least I love the fact that it deals with a grown up you know adult Superman and Lois who have teenage sons I, I, I think that that's really cool uh, I thought it was handled very well seeing Superman as a father is, is well done um, yeah it's 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 good It's it's got a lot going for it and I'm looking forward to seeing where it goes I wonder if it'll be able to maintain um, because obviously a show like The Flash unfortunately didn't uh, and, oh, and man. I wonder if I go back and I watch an episode and I'll try to get into a season. And, uh, it's just those first, especially that first season, first two yeah. seasons, but especially that first season was just so damn good. The first season benefits from exactly what you were talking about with WandaVision and compared to, you know, some of the, the, the DC stuff or the Star Wars stuff. They knew exactly where they were going from mm-hmm. the very first episode to the season finale they knew exactly where they were going every step of the way and it showed and by the time they got there it was so satisfying and it was just really well done yeah um so yeah I, i'm i'm i mean i'm with you 100 percent. that first season was i didn't know what to expect i kind of binged it on netflix after it had already aired my nephew my my young nephew it's his 15th birthday today by the way mm-hmm. uh he loved the show and he would tell me about it and I was like, all right, I'll check it out. Because I, you know, I love The Flash. I watched the original show back oh, yeah. in, like, 89, you mm-hmm. know? Um, but, yeah, the first season first season was great. Um, one thing uh, that I forgot to mention about WandaVision that I will throw out there real quick, uh, you were talking about special effects and, and, and the first scene of the latest episode. Another thing that was done so perfectly was the... the, the it's almost like it took me a second. I, I was like, did they? Didn't they? Did they? And then you see a close-up of her face later in the episode. The de-aging special effects that they used on Catherine Hahn in the first scene of the episode compared to what she looks like later in the episode. It Like, Scorsese needs to work with Disney again because, like, <laughs> the shit that he did in The Irishman doesn't even compare to what they were able to do in the beginning of WandaVision Episode 8. Like, it looked like she was 20 years younger. Yeah. And it was so subtle that it wasn't in your face. Whereas mm-hmm. the Irishman, which I thought was good, I really liked it. The 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 Irishman, man, some of that sometimes it gets it's distracting. Especially because the one thing that they couldn't change is they couldn't change the fact that De Niro walks with the gait of a man in his seventies, not a, <laughs> you know the gait of a man in his late thirties or early forties. It was, and I wonder how much uh, the Irishman was hurt by the fact that I know, and I don't know if this was uh, Scorsese's choice or the actor's choice, but. They did not wear the uh, the 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 tracking, whatever you call mm. it, the the tracking pods that they do for those kind of things. Like they did not use those when filming. Yeah. So they didn't have that benefit of helping them out with the de aging. Um, and I wonder if that's yeah. And that was such a long movie. Know. Good God. It was a long movie. It that, was. That was I, yeah. Uh, I, I liked it. I actually looking forward to watching it again. I, I bought the Criterion Blu-ray when it came out. Um, one other thing that I'll add that backs up this notion that maybe there is a secret tenth episode of WandaVision. I just looked this up. The Falcon and Winter Soldier premiere date is March nineteenth. However, WandaVision wraps up on March fifth. Mm. Does Disney really want to go a week without having that new content? So it would seem to me that maybe, just maybe, perhaps, they've reserved that March 12th date for something else. 
I'm interested to see. I'll take two more episodes and then wrap Hell it up. Yeah, don't so do it. I. Don't renew it. Don't give us a second season. We don't need it. Just wrap it no. up with a nice little bow. And then, because uh, everything I've read says that this this is directly going to lead into the next Doctor Strange movie. Yes, yeah, because we know that we know that uh, Elizabeth Olsen, Scarlet Witch slash Wanda Maximoff is in Doctor Strange and the Madness of Multiverses, whatever. Uh, and sure. uh, and uh, so we know that to be fact already. Um, which I think the pair of them will be will be great. I do wonder if he has a cameo. Uh, perhaps at the end, um, you know, to co- sort of come in and say like, "You need training. I'll help you." you sure. Know, uh, he'll be he'll be a post credit, mid credit scene. Right. Yeah. Right. I know another thing. It's it's interesting. I don't. I, I, this is definitely not going to happen. But it's funny to me that some people have speculated that Patrick Stewart will pop up as Professor X for for a scene. And I'm just like that doesn't it doesn't make any sense because sure. we already know that she's going to be with Doctor Strange. You know, they haven't uttered the word mutant once. They're talking chaos energy. So it's like, I, I think, I still think that the MCU is a long way off from, from having mutants. Yeah. Uh, which, which Kevin Feige has said multiple times that, that he's not, there's, we're not going to see Wolverine pop up anytime soon, you know? Um, but regardless, I mean, WandaVision is, is I think fantastic. And I'm really looking forward to these last, last episode or episodes, whatever the case may be. Yeah. Same here. Well, I think that was a pretty good first post-Quantum Leap episode. We didn't talk about Quantum Leap at all. No, I figured we'd find some way to segue <laughs> it in there, uh, but, but, uh, but we did not. I will say, and this is a thing that I posted from our, from our Twitter account, we uh, engaged with a couple of people about this. Um, you know, there, there's always speculation about a Quantum Leap reboot. There's even been even more because Scott Bakula said something a little bit about a possible reboot in a recent interview and of course like any any site that wants some clickbait will will blow it up right um i really do think if there ever is um a new quantum leap series it will very much follow the uh the uh the way of the flash and how the flash was a total reboot but it finds it finds ways to pay homage to the original 1990 early 1990 series and I think it's probably yeah. what's going to happen. Uh, they'll pay some tribute. They're going to cast an actor or an actress who is much, much younger than what Scott Bakula was when he started as Sam Beckett. Um, right. And Sam Beckett will probably have an occasional guest star or recurring role. Or Scott Bakula will have an occasional guest star or recurring role. Uh, but I would be surprised if it was actually Sam Beckett and they were continuing the story. I have a feeling like yeah. it's going to be a complete reboot. Maybe Sam will play yeah. Sam's father. Look, all I'm saying is, is I would love it if, if, if they didn't have him at all. First of all, make it only 13 episodes a season. And if in this, in the season one finale, Sam, Samantha, whoever winds up at Al's place and the guy behind the bar is Scott Bakula. Like that's that to me, that's that's the best place for him to be. (laughs) That's, that's all we need. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. Well, and I do want to say, too, I want to thank everyone um, for the comments. I know uh, Larry posted some wonderful comments uh, on Facebook. Adrian uh, posted some wonderful comments as well. Uh, um, I'm going to forget some people. I do apologize. But uh, we thank you guys for the, for the comments and the engagement on, on the Top 10 episode that we released uh, last week. Um, it was fun to, to hear people, uh, you know, kind of give some of their thoughts and opinions. Um, and, and I'm glad, uh, uh, thou shalt not had some support as well, because, uh, the more I thought about it, you know, it was, it was a hard episode for me to kind of like choose as, as one of my favorite episodes, my top episode, because I figured it would be one that people would be like, what is he talking about? But to know that, that other people out there love that episode, uh, and think of it as, as a high quality example of quantum leap was, was, was good to hear. Yeah, that was great to hear. And, uh. I'm kind of shocked Portrait of a Victorian didn't pop up on either one of our top tens. No? No. No. But but Jessica Jessica got me good last week at dinner. I told you about this, but I didn't mention it on the podcast. Mm-hmm. We had recorded, right? And mm-hmm. I mentioned, you know, this is what we're doing. And Jessica is kind of like is kind of like looking off to the side. She kind of has like just this the hint of a smile. And then she turns back and she goes, you know, I think I probably would have picked the wedding of Miyoko. <laughs> and she, she obviously butchered the title, you know, meeting Americanization of Machiko. And I was just like, I flames shot. I know it was, it was, it was a moment of just sheer and utter horror and delight and comedy in, in the Congerfane household. I lost it. I, I, I did. I, I, I couldn't tell if I was going to cry or rage or foam at the mouth. It was uh, it was just it was a lovely moment That's sweet. between husband and wife. That's sweet. <laughs> That's love. Um, yeah. So what are we going to talk about next week? I don't know. Whew, I don't know either. Where will we go? I I don't know. Um, I don't know. I don't even try speculating here. I have some ideas. We'll put it out there uh, on social yeah. media. If you have any ideas. Here's, here's a question. I'll throw a question out for listeners. If slash when, because we'll get to it at some point, not saying it's going to be next week, Dennis and I were to talk about Doctor Who. We've already kind of discussed the potential of doing kind of a, you know, not a straight rewatch or, you know, watch through like we do with Quantum Leap, but... For your benefit, Dennis, watching certain episodes and talking specifically about those episodes, would listeners rather, if I were to give Dennis an assignment, I start him off with Rose, which is the first episode of, you know, New Who, as a lot of people call it, from 2005, or should I take him all the way back to the Dark Ages of 1963 and have him watch An Unearthly Child, which has been the the default title given to the original four-episode serial. It's actually technically just the name, the title of the first episode proper. Because back in the original days, the the old days, each episode had an individual title. uh, And they all made up a story title. And now so retroactively, a lot of those stories have just been given a title based on one of the episodes. So, An Unearthly Child is, is the original episode from 1963. I'm interested to hear what viewers have in mind. Right? What 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 they think. I kinda want you to do both. <laughs> <laughs> well I have I I've I've started watching the series a couple times, so I've probably watched uh the first episode of The Return a couple okay. times. Um, Good. Yeah. Um I don't know much. I don't know about the politics. I know Chris, how do you say his last name? The first Doctor Who back? 
Eccleston. Eccleston. Um, I know there, there's some politics, there's some weirdness around Chris Eccleston and why he only lasted one season. I thought he was great in the few episodes that I saw. Yeah. I don't know what happened, but I don't know. You know, it's so strange. For a long time, I was not aware of a lot of the stuff surrounding it, and I'm more aware now than I ever have been before. And Jessica and I recently rewatched uh, his run, and it just started David Tennant's run. And uh, you can kind of tell in the last episode, in particular, which was not the last episode filmed, if I'm not mis- if I'm not mistaken. I think because they filmed them in blocks, and so oftentimes they're filmed out of order. But there was something about the last episode. Um, where you could just kind of get the sense that something's amiss. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, but anyway, we'll, 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 we'll get there eventually. We'll, get we'll there. talk about it at some point. We'll talk about that. <laughs> um, but for what is, uh, what is the, our new equivalent of leap out of here? Maybe that, maybe that's a convention that we keep. Oh yeah. Leap out of here. You got to keep that one. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I guess for now we're going to leap out of here. And we'll see you next week with something. (laughs) Not to be confused with the Beatles song by George Harrison, mind you, but something, something, (laughs) something out there. All right. Take care in the meantime. everybody. Have a good week, y'all. I want to stay